after Beth had died, and I was going through some of her things. I, one of the things I looked for uh, in her Bible was uh, she had written down anything about when she came to know the Lord, and she had written in there, born again, 1969. And I knew that that was when she had been attending as a, as a teenager, uh, Don's church, when he was pastoring right down the road here. And so he's special in that way, but he's been a very special friend throughout this entire experience. He's the one who uh, spoke at the funeral and uh, has just been a good friend. So, Brother Don, why don't you come and share what the Lord has laid on your heart. Thank you, Pastor. I did a little figuring this morning. It was 47 years ago when Carolyn and I moved here to Randolph. Some of the best years that we ever had were out here and so grateful for that time. Good to look out and see a few people that we still recognize. And it was so good hearing uh, Beth play the piano again. Uh, Beth and our oldest daughter were uh, best friends in high school. And uh, it's been a long time since uh, really seeing Beth and hearing her and so good. Thanks. I want you to turn to Psalm 18, if you would, please, this morning. And when you get there, if you had place your bulletin or something there and then sit your Bible to the side for just a few moments and we'll get to it. I came across an article back some time ago. I want to share just a little bit of that article with you. It goes like this. I have a friend whose husband was killed as a missionary in Africa. They had a disabled son. She went back as a missionary for four more years, then returned to the USA because her son needed special care. She met a man that seemed very godly, and they got married. Things were fine for the first year, but he turned out to be a con artist with a record. He took all her money, beat her, and abused her disabled son. I am so discouraged by what has happened to her. How could I trust God to protect me or guide me when he would allow such a bad thing to happen to such a godly woman? How can I trust God? That's an interesting question. How can I trust God when he doesn't seem to act the way I think he ought to act? How can I trust God if He can't control what's happening? How can I trust God if if He doesn't seem to answer my prayers? If I can get seriously ill, or if I can can get seriously injured, how can I trust God? If He can't stop all of the evil that exists within our world, how can I trust Him? 
Well, a lot of people are asking questions like that today. How can I trust God? That's a basic question. I tell you, my friends, honestly, everything about the Christian faith hinges on that question. Really, can I trust God? Every belief, every doctrine, every command in the Word of God, everything that God says, everything about Himself, His integrity, His reputation, His very being hinges on that question, can I trust God? Trust. The word speaks of confidence. It speaks of certainty, reliability, assurance. It speaks of dependability, guarantee. When Pastor Bill and I talked, and he asked me if I could speak today, immediately I put that on my digital calendar on my computer. I don't know how many times I have said to my wife when it comes to events or birthdays or whatever, trust the calendar. But it's not always right. I like to think that people can trust me. I like to think that. But one of my daughters reminds me of when I forgot to pick up her kids at school. Trust. Trust. We have to be able to trust God 100% of the time. You see, circumstances don't in any way violate that trust. They're accidents. He does not renege on any of His promises. I can trust Him 100% of the time, or I can't trust Him at all. It's interesting. June the 25th of this year, the United States Supreme Court made a decision on Obamacare. It all came down to one word. The word state. Whether Obamacare would continue or not would all come down to how the justices would decide. They decided Obamacare was okay and there was a loose interpretation of the word state and... So I carried on. Associate Justice Anthony Scalia, who dissented against the decision, made this comment. He said, words no longer have meaning. Words no longer have meaning. Words like marriage, or honesty, or truth or sin, or trust. They no longer have meaning in this culture, in this society. But I tell you, my friends, they do still have meaning to God. Trust. The Word of God speaks of trust. That shouldn't surprise anybody here this morning. The word or some form of the word appears 164 times in the King James Version. 144 times in the NIV and 128 times in the NASB. 
I think it's interesting that it appears many more times in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament. In fact, for every one time it appears in the New Testament, it appears almost four times in the Old Testament. And then it's mostly in the Psalms. And then it normally relates to trusting God for protection. Well, let's look at that passage in the Word of God. Psalm 18. Psalm 18, the psalmist, David writes, and I quote, He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. About 20 times in the Old Testament, it makes reference to God being the rock. Maybe you're aware of the fact that the Word of God was written by Easterners, directly to Easterners, were Westerners. Easterners think in terms of pictures. We think in terms of bullets and outlines and lists. That's why the Word of God speaks so many times in, in terms of images. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my rock. He is the door. The Word of God uses that kind of imagery. Again, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Trust. By the way, this passage in the Word of God appears almost verbatim. Almost word for word. The same in Second Samuel chapter 22. Let me make a long story short. Saul is the king. But God has chosen David to replace him. Well, that didn't make Saul happy, as you would imagine. Saul wanted to continue to be king. And so over and over and over again, Saul and his army tried to hunt down David and kill him. Sometimes they came close. But God protected David. And that's an oversimplification. But even when Saul was out of the way, David still had problems. He was constantly harassed. His authority was challenged. There were attempts on his life. There were battles to be fought. Even his own son Absalom wanted to get rid of dad and take over the kingdom. But God protected David. In fact, David makes this statement in Psalm 3. He says, and I quote, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me. Why? Because God promised that he would be king. So he trusted God. He trusted God to protect him. 
He trusted God to be his rock. He trusted God to be his fortress and his strength and his shield. But that didn't mean that David could go out and be foolish. I saw a group of boys one day who were picking on a younger boy. Younger boy ran away from them and his dad came out and he ran over to his dad and wrapped his arms around his dad's leg. And he looked at the boys who were picking on him and he said, Ha, 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 you can't hurt me. Well, even when Saul was alive, David couldn't do that. He couldn't do that with Absalom. He had to use wisdom. He had to be careful. Trust God. Yes, trust God. Trust what God has said. Trust His Word. Trust. It had never rained before. There had never been a flood. As far as we know, Noah had never seen a boat before. Certainly not one the size of the box boat that he had built. But he believed what God said. And he believed that there was going to be a flood, and he believed that that boat was going to survive. Why? Because God said so. Moses led three million people out into the wilderness. That was crazy. Common sense would say that was the dumbest thing that you could do. Pharaoh and his army could come out there and they could just absolutely slaughter the people or they would die of starvation or thirst. But Moses took three million people out there to the desert. Why? Because he trusted what God said. There was a military man. God told him that you're going to defeat this city. This is what I want you to do. I want you and the army to march around this city once every day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. Then I want the priests to blow their horns and I want the people to yell. And the walls will come tumbling down. That was so ridiculous. That's not the way Joshua learned to fight. Those inside the city could shoot the arrows up into the air. Shoot them over the wall and have them rain down on the army. They could rush out the gates and kill some of the Israelis. And It made absolutely no military sense. It made no common sense. Except for the fact that God said, do it. And he trusted God's word. Now bear with me for a moment as I seem to move in a different direction. I'm not, but... I have a very simple but profound statement for you this morning. Are you ready? It goes like this. Pastors are people too. Pastors are people too. 
You've seen that in this past year. Pastors eat. They bleed. They hurt. Pastors go through struggles. They have successes. And they have failures. They have dreams and they have challenges. There are times that they are confronted with things that they just absolutely don't understand. Pastors can be encouraged. You've done well. Thank you for encouraging, Bill. Pastors can be discouraged. They can be tested. And they need to trust. Just like you. Pastors have to live and function within the framework of the Word of God. Just like you. Let me share with you one of those times in our life, Carolyn and I. April 27th of this year, 21 weeks ago, we entered into a very discouraging and testing time too. One of our daughters, Becky, got a phone call. Just two words sent her world into a spin. It's cancer. June the 2nd, she had surgery. She wasn't supposed to. It was just supposed to be a fatty tumor. Nothing to be concerned about. Two weeks later, one day before her 36th birthday, she had surgery the second time. Not only did she have cancer, but it was worse than what they expected it would be. Well, she's nine weeks now into six months of chemotherapy. They'd be followed by five weeks of radiation. She has a battle ahead of her. Not like David. There's some of you here today who are facing tough times in your life too. There have to be. In a group like this. I don't mention this for your sympathy. I really don't. But I do want to make the point, we are people, too. We do not get any special consideration. We face the same kinds of problems and trials and hurdles that you experience. We are not shielded. 
In fact, I think sometimes for pastors and for their families, I think sometimes maybe it's worse. Because you understand, we are in a spiritual battle and we are on the front line of attack. The principles of the Word of God do not change for us. Nor do the expectations. God expects that when we go through the problems and the trials of life, that we will glorify Him. And from what I've heard from people, still in the midst of the tears and the pain and the heartache, Pastor Bill has done that. And I'm grateful. But you see, the question is for Carolyn and I as well. Do we trust God? And we, do we trust God to make Becky cancer-free? I think it's important that you understand those are really two separate questions. We do trust God. We trust Him to be faithful. We trust Him to be holy, to be righteous. We trust that our God is wise and that He is powerful. And we trust that He is in control even when we don't feel it and see it. We trust what our God says. He says there's a heaven. I believe that. But he also says there is a hell. And I believe that too. One day I'm going to lay down my body and I'm going to heaven. What about you? I tell you, my friends, there is an absolute guarantee that I am going to go to heaven. Because the Word of God says that those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, I know there are people who say, yeah, I believe in... And that's it. There are people who sometimes they they just walk down the aisle and, and I believe and they pray a prayer and they think they're going to go to heaven. I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior years ago. And I tell you, I have sought to give evidence of that in my life. I trust that I am to love and I am to forgive and I am to demonstrate grace even when it is not easy and even when it does not seem to make sense. And I am to do it simply because the Word of God says so. Trust. One day I am going to stand eyeball to eyeball with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have to answer for how obedient I have been or have not been 
in every area of my life. Not just in some. Do I want Becky to be free of cancer? I can't tell you how much I want that. But even though I trust God, I cannot trust that that is what is going to happen because there is no guarantee. I know He can do that. But He hasn't promised to do that. By the way, there are a couple of you here this morning who heard me deliver this message a few weeks ago at the church where I retired from, and I did that with my daughter sitting right there. Understand that there is no 100% absolute guarantee because God has not spoken. Do we have the right to go before the throne of grace? Absolutely we do. And we have and we do. And we will. But we will trust God even if. You see, that's when trust is really put to the test. Trust. It's been a number of weeks ago, I turned the TV on and a pastor came on. I'll tell you up front, I do not listen to the pastors on TV. I, maybe you do, I don't. I, but I heard the pastor ask two questions and he's a very well-known pastor. First question was, do you want a new house? And his second question was, are you believing God for it? I couldn't believe what I heard. You see, that's a part of the name it and claim it theology. Which says that we choose what we want, God's going to give it. We determine what we want God to do, and then God is bound to. There's no basis for that kind of thinking or action in the Word of God. The Word of God teaches a faith of trust. It does. But faith used to be more objective and verifiable. You understand what that means? This is what I believe, because that's what it says in the Word of God. This is where there is a guarantee, because it said so in the Word of God. This is where I can trust God, because it... There are people today who are trusting that they're going to go to heaven just because they feel so. Over the years, the faith has become more and more subjective and non-verifiable. This is what I believe. This is what I think is true. 
this is what I guarantee can be guaranteed. This is where I can trust God because I feel it, I think it, I want it, and God told me. And then it doesn't happen and we blame God. Trust. There was a family years ago that was very, very careless with their finances. They had a history of owing people money. Oh, they would go out and they'd buy silly things. They're so careless with their money. And they wouldn't pay their bills. They had good jobs. They were bringing more money into their home than Carolyn and I had coming into our home. But they were always in debt. More money, but debt. What amazed me was they didn't change the way they were handling their finances. They, they didn't watch where they were spending their... They didn't pay their mortgage. They didn't make their house payment. Again, you would think, pay that. You've got to, you've got to pay your house payment. But they didn't. They spent their money everywhere and they trusted that one day they would go out to the mailbox and God would have money in the mailbox for them. They told me that, I started checking their mailbox. (laughs) Even after losing their home. They still think the same way. Trust. I trust God. I trust God. Can you say those three words with me? Let's do it. I trust God. One more time. I Trust God. It's so easy to say that. But you understand that real trust demands demonstration. Real trust demands obedience. To what God says, not to what I want. Real trust involves confidence even during the dark times of life. Real trust involves an assurance that God loves, He cares, He's with us, and He's in control. Even when we're blindsided. And Pastor Bill was certainly put to the test. Trust. It was April the 27th when our daughter got the news. Carolyn and I walked to to her house where she and husband and son live. We talked for a while. I I really don't recall all that was discussed, what happened. 
But I remember before we left, I remember Becky and I were in her kitchen. I don't remember anyone else being in the kitchen. And I asked Becky a question. Is God still good? Without hesitation, she said, Absolutely, Dad. July the 7th, I was taking her for CAT scan and bone scan to see if the cancer had spread into other organs, bones. And I asked her another question. Becky, do you trust God? And again, without hesitation, yes. I want to be around to raise Noah. I do. But Dad, I trust God. June the 17th, a small group of people went to a black church in Charleston, South Carolina. They went there to study the Word of God. They were black people. Oh, there was one white man who came in, sat down, joined them. And that night, there was a horror. As nine people were shot to death. I thought it was incredible that just right after that event took place, family members spoke of forgiveness because they trust what the Word of God says. That's trust. There's a pastor from Baghdad who spoke about a small group of young teenage boys who were gathered up by ISIS. And they were given a choice. You convert today or else. You become Muslims. What are you going to do? And those young boys said, we love Yeshua. And Yeshua loves us. That's trust. Every day I see people who are facing extremely difficult situations, but they're facing it with integrity and grace and faithfulness. Because they trust the Word of God. I see people who take a stand for the Word of God no matter what the cost. I see people who are following Jesus Christ. Not culture, not the popular trends of the day. They are following Christ with clarity. Trust. They trust God. They trust what He wants. And they trust that pleasing Him is more important than pleasing themselves. 
It's more important than their comfort and their plans. Trust. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young man by the name of Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, We both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. There had been attempts on Paul's life. He had been accused of things he had never done. He had been thrown out of a city, out of cities. He had been thrown out of one. He had been stoned, left for dead. He had been put into jail. He had been released. He had been arrested again. He's waiting for execution. Timothy is there in Ephesus. And he's struggling. He's trying to correct leadership and doctrine. There was no promise that there would be an absence of pain or that there would be protection or that it would be a great life. There was just simply a reminder that we serve the living God. No matter what. Trust. I can trust God. Do you? I do trust Him. Do you?